Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. All right, let's talk sport. Let's talk golf. The day before, the fourth and final major championship of the year gets underway. It's the Open Championship on England's northwest coast at Royal Liverpool Golf Club at Hoylake. Phil Tatarangi, great to have you back with us. Uh, what do you know about Hoylake? Because it's a place I understand and I've read about over the years with a very storied history, hasn't it? Very famous golf club. Sure is, Pete. Nice to be back on with you. Nice to be back talking golf. And as you mentioned, the final major championship, it's, it feels weird that it's only just over halfway through the calendar year, but we're talking about the last major championship, but such is the case with the Open now becoming the the kind of glory's last shot. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting. The, the um, major championship season has thrown up a few different winners. Um, and so we're, we're rolling around to a venue that um, maybe is not the most uh, recognisable for for golf viewers that have, have watched the Open Championships in previous years on on telly, um, but it's a, a golf course that's held the championship twelve previous times. This will be the thirteenth time the Open has gone to Hoylake, as it's um, as it's known, and it's got an honour roll uh, of some of the best in the game, uh, some like Walter Hagen, Bobby Jones. Peter Thompson, the Australian who won the Open Championship five times, Robert Roberto Di Vincenzo, um, and then of course the last two champions have been gentlemen by the name of Woods and McElroy. So it's a golf course that tends to have the cream rise to the top. Yes, and I have very fond memories of watching Tiger Woods on TV in 2006, I think it was, when he won his Open Championship at Hoylake. The extraordinary thing about that was that he played the entire 72 holes using his driver maybe once, maybe not at all, because it was a very dry summer. There was no fairway watering. The ball was rolling forever, so Woods wanted to control his golf ball, keep it out of the fairway bunkers, keep it on the fairway, keep it in play. So he played conservatively, and he won in the end pretty comfortably, I seem to remember. Yeah, and you'll also remember that uh, shortly after to tapping in and winning that uh, he broke down in tears in the embrace of uh, Caddy at the time, Steve Williams, um, because that was well, less than two months or so after his father had passed away. And so uh, he'd missed the cut at uh, Wingfoot, I think it was, for the US Open. Uh, I remember playing in that that US Open. And um, and so it was a period of time where a lot of people were not too sure about the dominance of Tiger Woods. Would it continue? Of course, he had a strong season in 2005. Um, and he was by far and away the most tactical um, player in the entire field at that Open Championship. Again, and I think knowing Steve well, um, that they had similar sort of uh, strategies and game plans for when playing the Open Championship on on various different golf courses, where his long game, his iron game um, with two, three, four, five irons um, was just so far superior to the rest of the field that sacrificing distance off the tee was was not a, not an issue, not a concern at all. It was staying out of the fairway bunkers. That was 
priority number one. And so often you'd see him laying up with, you know, possibly even five iron off the tee. It was running, as you would say, it was driving fast. And um, Tiger just had this theory that if he stayed out of the pot bunkers that, you know, he would only make so many errors over the course of the week. He only made a handful of bogeys, I believe. And it would be pretty much who would be the last man standing. And, and, and so he kind of schooled the entire field playing alongside of Sergio Garcia, who was, um, you'll remember him dressed up in, in, in yellow from head to toe, um, uh, called Tweety Bird probably uh, by a few people uh, at the time. And um, and getting absolutely schooled by Tiger on that final day, so that kind of gives you a bit of a pl- blueprint for for the golf course. Course, uh, from what I've read over the last few days, is not quite as fast and firm as it was in 2006. Nevertheless, with really flat fairways, it's a golf course that probably doesn't register when you see those down the line camera angles when the cameras are right behind the players looking at the green in the distance, the golf holes don't register quite as well as they do in the US from that camera angle. So I'm expecting you'll see a lot of a lot of cameras um, from the high towers behind the greens. Um, you know, the Open Championship always does a wonderful job of, of having some really high shots to try and give people a sense of what the bunker arrangement is and where the golf hole is on the property and um, trying to get people to understand what the, what the links looks like. Um, but nevertheless, it's going to be a ball striking test. I think when you have a look at those champions of days gone by, one thing that they all have is that they were ball strikers. And um, I think you probably should be looking to those sorts of players uh, to be somewhere near the top of the leaderboard come Monday morning. Well, Rory McIlroy is the last winner of the Open at Hoylake. I stayed up until about half past one in the morning uh, last uh, Monday morning to watch him win the Scottish Open, Phil. Uh, that was just a mm. fantastic golf tournament. I thought that uh, the left-handed Scotsman Bob McIntyre, who had made birdie on the last into the wind on a long par four, had done enough. But McIlroy, who frankly was struggling earlier in his final round, finishes 2-3 uh, on the last two holes, both into the wind, with, uh, as you say, ball striking, which was the absolute key. And he, he talked about his uh, his final shot into the wind with a two-iron, playing a low cut to about, I don't know, 10, 12 feet, holds the birdie putt yeah. to make a three to win by one shot. I mean, arguably the best finish of the year. He called it his best shot of the year. So here's a man in form, uh, second at the US Open, uh, is he ready finally for another major after, what, nine years away from the winner's circle in the big time? Yeah, it kind of feels that way, doesn't it, Pete? Um, the, the the kind of unusual thing in all of what you just said was McElroy actually hitting a two-iron into a par four. It was a big a wind. Shot, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's um, you know, the, the players, the best players in the world don't get to play that sort of golf um, very much nowadays. And so it generally separates those that are, you know, uh, very adept with, with uh, the hardest clubs in the bag to hit. And McElroy, look, it's been uh, well documented. We've even talked about it here every major championship week uh, throughout the, the year. Is this the week that Mary, uh, Rory breaks the 
the the egg from from the the last uh, eight or nine years or so that he hasn't uh, lofted one of those uh, four major trophies. So, look, I, th- I think we'll just put repeat on that and say, yeah, look, he's <laughs> he's one of the uh, one of the clear favourites going going in here. I, I you know, we, we spoke shortly after the U.S. Open. Um, about four weeks ago that the quote that he had was he would go through a hundred more Sundays being just that close um, and having the disappointment of missing out to capture one more major championship. And so, you know, I think there's there's some burn um, that's inside. Uh, I think that McElroy's game has, has changed over the last few years, a bit more rounded out as far as his uh, wedge game is concerned. It's always been a prodigious driver of the ball, but possibly has used that um, a, f- a few too many times when he hasn't necessarily needed to. Um, at times last week in the Renaissance Club, is a lovely golf course, but it's not a Royal Liverpool. Um, I saw him playing a little more strategically, a little more tactically, um, channeling his inner tiger, uh, where he doesn't necessarily need to, you know, show off all the the tricks that he has in the bag uh, to get the job done. Maybe it's a little bit of restraint m- could could be um, enacted a little bit more often from Roy McIlroy to get the job done. So it, it seems like there's some maturity. Um, Albeit with a belly full of fire, to see that there there are players like Brooks Kepka who have come along in the last few years and, and captured five major titles since Rory captured his fourth, and um, you know I think just little things like that where it's clear that he's going to go down in the history books as you know one of, if not the most influential player of this generation. Uh, and I'm talking about the generation post Woods and post Mickelson, um, but his resume has stalled a little bit. Yep, he's picked up the other tournaments, the Scottish Opens and the Canadian Opens and, and other tournaments around the world, but it's the big ones that really matter. Um, and and so for McElroy, I think capturing an Open, and then you go back 12 months to Pete. You go back 12 months where he was supposed to win the 150th at the old course last year, and he got stuck in neutral when Cam Smith zipped on by him on the final day. You'll remember that. So, you know, there's just a, a whole heap of things that point towards McElroy being super motivated to get his name on the claret jug once again. Right. You've mentioned Cam Smith, defending champion from 12 months ago since he won his Open Championship. He's, shall we say, jumped the fence, gone off to live golf. He doesn't need to worry about working or about his financial security for the rest of his life. But there's a really intriguing backdrop to this year's Open at Royal Liverpool because Yassir El Rumayan, uh, I think they call him Yes Sir around the golfing world. He is the head of Live Golf. He is uh, the main man in the Saudi investment fund, multi-billionaire. He's going to be at Royal Liverpool uh, pressing the flesh trying apparently to become a member of the RNA. He wants to become a member at Augusta National as well. But even though this big announcement was made, gosh, what's the best part of six, seven weeks ago now about how Live Golf and the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, European Tour, we're all going to come back together. We still don't know any more details about it, do we? Uh, but the sign that this guy is, or the fact that this guy is going to be at Royal Liverpool is surely a sign 
that the merger talks are continuing, even though there's no details on the table yet. What do you say about this? Yeah, look, I think it's um, <laughs> dare I say it, Pete. It's it's not too dissimilar from you know the times that we've been living through in the last little while, where you know people were because you disagreed with them um, were banished from properties <laughs> and uh, not being uh, not being allowed to be anywhere near. Um, and then uh, then all of a sudden things changed and then, oh, it's, um, you know, there's no problem with uh, these people coming back in. So it seems like the, the authorities in the game um, are, are reeling a little bit, to be fair, that in the cases of, of Live Golf and the PGA Tour and the RNA and uh, USGA and Augusta National, all, all the main power brokers in, in the game ha- are a bit at lost at sea at the moment because, you know, when there was this, you know, this period of time, 12 months or so, uh, maybe a little bit longer behind closed doors, but out in the open about 12 months or so where actually knowing your enemy um although it was really fractious, um, it was very clear and, un- and everyone understood exactly where they stood. Now, of course, um, after a, you know, a midnight deal, it sounds like, uh, between Monaghan and Yasir, um, is that, you know, everyone's supposed to be friends again. And I think <laughs> everyone's, everyone's having a tough time coming to grips with that, the players included. And, um, and so, yeah, he's, he's the man that's now the chairman of this new commercial entity that's going to um, bring the PGA Tour, as you say, the, the, the DP World Tour and Live Golf together. Um, and the players are going to be stuck in the middle of this. And I think some of the administrators are, are not too sure what to be thinking. Uh, there have been a lot of people that have come out with some really strong rhetoric over the last few years. And um, and now are being forced probably to reel in some of those thoughts, reel in some of those those comments, and and so you know I, you know there's there's, there's scant uh, amount of detail as to what this would would will all look like in in the years ahead. Um, you know what what is the PGA Tour season going to include? Where does Live Golf fit into? These uh, the schedules that have been kind of set in stone for a little while, and um, you know it, it just kind of feels like that awkward person has turned up at the wedding, there, and everyone's not too sure quite how to receive them, and so um, it's going to be an interesting period of time. I'm sure there will be those on social media that like to take the Michael a little bit, um, that will come up with some really some really funny captions this this week when. Uh, all of those people that hated each other, um, or at least we were told they were they were disliking each other over the last few years, are all going to be sitting around the same t- table, sipping on cups of tea and trying to make friends. Indeed. We'll see how that plays out, but we've been waiting for a few weeks already. Another really, uh, and I hope this does not come to pass, but a, a, sort of a, a shadow hanging over the event, are these constant protests going on at sports events in Britain uh, this northern summer. We've seen it at the cricket. We've seen it at the snooker. I think we saw it even uh, at the British Grand Prix, didn't we? The Just Stop Oil protesters. Now, 
I note uh, mm. in a magazine article that I've read in Golf Digest, I think, uh, caddies and players have been told to exercise restraint, not do a Johnny Bairstow, and uh, physically remove them. It's probably just as well that Steve Williams is, uh, is not uh, caddying <laughs> at this event because I suspect if a Just Stop Oil protester came anywhere near Steve Williams and his player, uh, the protester would come off second best. But they've been told to uh, yeah, look, keep, I- keep, keep quiet on this. Yeah, look, I think um, I think you actually might find that Steve is over there. Uh, I think he's kidding for Adam Scott. Certainly was. Oh, still is um, he? Okay. At the yeah. Uh, yeah at the at the US Open in, in LA a few weeks back, um, and he's someone to keep an eye on. We might be flying a little bit under the radar as far as ball strikers are concerned, but we'll get to some favourites in, in in just a little bit. But yeah, look, this is an interesting um, in development. It, Probably good that Sam Kane's not there as well, um, <laughs> yeah. and and because he might throw out a throw out a little ankle tap. Um, yeah, look, it's going to be interesting because to be fair, as as far as sporting events is concerned, are concerned, golf is one of the easiest to get under the ropes and get onto the field of play. Um, it, it, you you get in through the gate pretty much like everyone else, and yeah, there's a bit more security at the uh, at the turnstiles than than there have been in years past. And and you've got to remember, the Open is cherished by um, certainly those in, in the British Isles as being the most open and public sporting event um, that there is. Uh, you, you, you know, in years gone past, the, getting a ticket to the Open has been nearly a rite of passage. Uh, you know, you go and have a picnic. You don't even have to be into golf, to be fair. Put the kids in the in the pram and push them around the course. It, it, it's it's completely the the opposite of what Augusta National was, and in, in, in the in the atmosphere at the Masters. And and so, you know, this has been, you know, the, the an event where access has not been an issue. A little bit harder to get into Wimbledon. It's a bit it's a bit different it's, now at the Open, though, isn't it? Because. Uh, you know, that, that was the case, and I've, I've uh, just rocked up at the gate of an open championship and, and bought a ticket and gone on in, but you've got to go through a ballot now. They're, they're actually restricting the numbers because the event has just become so popular. So it's it's different now to what it was even a decade or so ago. Yeah, you've got to be, yeah. got to be prepared. Uh, you're not kind of waking up after a couple of beers down at the boozer and saying, hey, let's go to the open today. You're probably going to get turned away at the front door for that. But um, what you know, what those that are, are carrying out this campaign are pretty organised, yep. and so you know, I think there's been a few articles written by the golf scribes in recent times when these protests have taken place, where you know, are wondering what the RNA security is going to be like. I, I, I hope not that the open turns into being overly. Um, auspicious with their the security. There's enough plainclothes uh, security there as it is now. There's the bobbies, of course, that that walk alongside of the the groups with featured players. Um, but let's hope that you know it doesn't feel like you're outside of Buckingham Palace when you're watching you know players play sport. Um, nevertheless, I think we should expect that there may well be an incident at some stage. It, it seems like this group are really motivated. Uh, they've got their uh, their cause championing um, 
and it, it was at some stage over the next four days, um, seems like their campaign is to drop a little bit of orange dye on somewhere. That may well just meld straight into the uh, the brownish, bronzish fairways <laughs> at Royal Liverpool, to be fair. And so their, their protest may be, may be over and done with before it even gets started. But look, we, we'll, we'll see. Um, let's hope not uh, that, uh, that events are, are spoiled by people um, taking to, uh, to, to getting inside the arena. Right. Uh, let's talk about some potential front runners come Monday morning, our time. Uh, two New Zealanders in the field, uh, Ryan Fox and Daniel Hillier, both of them with consistent form recently without ever threatening uh, the winner's circle, uh, particularly in Ryan Fox's case, although Daniel Hillier had that uh, extraordinary success in Germany uh, just a few weeks ago, which has got him into the Open, and we congratulate him for that. Uh, hasn't quite shown the same hot form since. Uh, but apart from the Kiwis, who else are you liking? And, uh, you know, obviously McElroy is top of discussions, but uh, who else are you thinking might be a contender uh, in the next few days? Yeah, in, in the case of Ryan, he's um, he's a third group off. So when you think about the Open, um you know the great thing is they televise every single um, group that tees off, uh, and so TV coverage will start here late on um, on Thursday night. And Ryan's in the third group off, and um, and then Daniel's somewhere in the middle of the field. One tee start at the Open Championship, and so on Friday night he's in the second group off. So both of them have actually. In a, in a pretty good spot for Kiwi golf fans to to watch some of the golf. Ryan will be part of the very early action in the first day. And when you have a look at um, you know his betting odds, and, and sure, maybe he's been kind of finishing middle of the pack or somewhere thereabout in the 20th to 30th range, um, you know, that's, that's possibly only a couple of putts away from being inside the top 10. And so Ryan's game has been really consistent this year. And you know, but when you have a look at a, a golf course like Royal Liverpool, we've just talked about the the tactic of Tiger. Um, what are we talking about? 17, 18 years ago, um, seventeen years ago to 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 win. Um, you know, Ryan's strength is with the big stick, and will he have the restraint to actually use that very few times around Royal Liverpool? He's he's also a demon with that that driving iron that he's got, the two iron, and so he's got enough enough length to be able to play with half a set, so to speak, around Royal Liverpool and compete. Will he opt to do that is is basically um, the big question. Um, but as, as, as putting and his short game has much improved over the course of, of this season, the last couple of seasons in actual fact. So, you know, I, I would expect that he should go pretty consistently well again. There's no signs that his game is failing. For for Dan, I think he's still riding the high of that um, that that win at the British Masters um, and and getting an exempt spot straight into the Open um, and, and playing in a second uh, major championship is a is a great thrill. So hopefully he can actually uh, keep that form going. Um, he's got a good draw because as we know, the Open Championship all depends on. You know what part of the draw you end up in because the wind can be so changeable, can make the golf course change quite significantly from morning to afternoon when the tide comes in and the tide goes out, the winds change with it. And so uh, 
being off at the early parts of the, the the sides of the draw is a good break for both of those guys. But I think when you come back to the favourites, Peter, it, it's all about ball striking at Royal Liverpool, a really flat golf course. Um, so actually shaping the ball is really key. There's not a lot of contour on some of those fairways. And so with, with a number of dog leg holes, you've got to be able to have control of your golf ball. And so you look at those that can move the ball both ways. Um, you have a look at those that have no problem with gearing back and playing tactically. Um, it's fair to say you go straight to the top of the world rankings when you go to these big tournaments. Uh, McElroy is is a clear favourite. Uh, when you talk about ball striking, Scotty Scheffler is is the best on tour um, all round in, in those departments. Um, I'm not so sure if whether John Rahm has just cooled off a little bit in, in recent times. Uh, hasn't carried quite the same form as he had the first few months of the year. But then I think there are a few further down the, the pecking order to, to keep an eye on that that tend to always put themselves in good nick. And that's where I mentioned a, someone like an Adam Scott. And that might be sounding like it's a bit of a wild card, but Scotty's come really close at the Open. Um, certainly in those weeks, those golf courses where it's for a really rewarded ball striking. Um, he tends to go nicely on greens that are a little bit slower, um, despite being a, a, a the possession of, in possession of a green jacket. Um, it, and so I, I think you know, his game has been close without being stellar. Um, and there might be those players just a little bit further down, a little bit out of the, you know, the top the top table to keep an eye on because the Open always tends to throw up a, a few names that you um, you might not expect in a major championship. Alrighty, great talking with you. We will see how things uh, unfold over the next four days. So uh, tomorrow night, I I think from memory the TV coverage starts really early in the evening, doesn't it? Because they're underway at six thirty in the morning and the TV cameras are rolling into yeah. local time. So that means what five thirty in the afternoon we can start watching uh, the Open Championship and and Ryan amongst those those early groups tomorrow evening. So it should be good fun to watch during uh, prime time and through the night if we uh, if we can stay awake. Phil, lovely talking with you. Let's talk yeah. again next week uh, and we can look back on what happens this weekend at, uh, at Royal Liverpool Golf Club. Great talking with you again. Likewise, Pete. Enjoy it, as I will over the next couple of days. Hopefully Ryan and, and Dan can play themselves into contention at a major championship. Phil Tatarangi here on Reality Check Radio. Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR. Reality Check Radio.